What's up, everyone? If you are listening, this is episode 32 of our World of Lifting podcast. And today we have a special guest, Richard D. Stephanie. He's 2017 USS national champion in the 275 weight class, three-time competitor at the Strongman Champions League. His best placing was sixth. He is also a strongman coach and his personal business, Radical Strength and Fitness. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, great. How are you? I'm doing good. So uh, let's get this show on the road. Uh, I think your clients and everyone would want to know, how did you get into this crazy sport of strongman? Uh, so I always used to, uh, I always used to lift in football. Like actually growing up, I grew up on a farm. So I was always lifting things, always picking heavy things up. Uh, so then once I, I started playing football, I naturally grew into lifting. I was like, oh, I was always the strongest kid on the team from high school on into college. But then sophomore year of college, I, I fell out of playing football. And then I was just concentrating on school and lifting. And at one, one point I was like, you know, what? I'm going I'm to be a bodybuilder. Like, this is kind of cool. Okay. Like, I want to go step on a stage. And then I realized, I'm like, this sucks. Um, you know, I just, it, I didn't have fun getting up doing cardio early in the morning, training multiple times a day. Like, I didn't do it the right way, but it wasn't fun. Yeah, sorry, there's my dog popping over if you yeah. might see her in the window. Um, see, it just wasn't fun. And one of my roommates was like, why don't you try Strongman? So that summer, this is summer 2009, I was home from college. And I saw there was a competition in Allentown, PA, that Kyle Bixler from Team Bix put on. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Signed up, went, and I had a blast. I got third place in the heavyweight class. I went against two other guys that ultimately became professionals in the sport. That you know, big names, Mike Jenkins, one of them. Um, and I just, I, I loved it from the from the very first time. So uh, about. Two months later, I did two more shows that were local around my college. And then after that, I took the rest of about a year and a half off from competing. I just wanted to concentrate on finished schooling and everything like that. Like I still lifted, but I just wasn't trying to go to a competition or anything like that. And then once I graduated, though, and I moved out to my wife and I moved to Pennsylvania, uh, I fell right into uh, Team Bix. I reached out to Kyle Bixler because he lived in the area and started training strongman immediately once once I came out of college. Wow. So I think a lot of a lot of people they start from a football background. A lot of lifters they the the conditioning and, and training in football. I see a lot of power cleans, a lot of a lot of movements that that would relate to strongman. Like uh like the overhead stuff and the squats and whatnot. And and naturally like a lot of the guys who are really good, like a lot of the top strongman competitors that you would see um, usually come from areas where they also grew up lifting things, like grew up on farms. Yeah. Um, so yes, became a farmer and then, you know, did football and then ultimately, or even track or not, not track, but, um, throwing. Yeah. I heard you needed to be really fast for a strong man for like the races and whatnot, the, the, the loading races, the carries and stuff. It's not so much fast, but you gotta be quick. You have quick. to be quick. You have to be quick on your feet. That's one thing that really helped me. So um, going into my history, my weight kind of flew all over the place. I used to be a super heavyweight competitor. So for a few competitions, wow. I competed in the over 300 pound class. And then it was um, around 2015, I actually saw a picture of myself. And while I was in the background of someone's photo, I was just walking by and I realized I was like, I look awful. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be a heavyweight anymore. 
Yeah. Um, so I started working on cutting down the class, but once I had that strength and I cut down into a lower class, I became faster. So I was able to move faster in, the, in those moving events. So you said your first competition, you were able to, to get a third, third place. So did, was there any prior training before that? Was it just like, oh, I see a meet, I'll just join like that same day kind of thing? I did some training. So now if someone's very, now if someone's interested in getting into strongman, um, you can go, there's a lot of different groups out there. There's a lot of Facebook groups like Starting Strawman. There's a website, startingstrawman.com. Um, that they're, they work on getting a lot of people into the sport. That's where a lot of people can really start getting information on where, where novice competitions are and everything like that. Um, back in 2009, there was no such thing. There was Googling. There was the Morunde Muscle Forum. There was like an old muscle bodybuilding forum that you had to go on that you actually found out about competitions. There wasn't even a Facebook page where you can go on and find out about what was going on. Um, so when I found out what the events were, cause they tell you in the beginning, or I should say, it depends on what you're doing. They'll tell you in the beginning. Um, I was able to dictate my training to help me towards that. So like I knew one of the events was a tire flip. I was living on a farm. We had tons of tractor tires out in the field. Guess what? You're going to go flip tractor tires. So I, I spent, I spent some time, you know, training, doing that. We had a farmer carry. So okay. I was like, hey, I'm going to grab a trap bar and I'm going to carry the trap bar around. Okay. So I was trying to mimic that. Um, and then I was looking up ways to train for the Atlas Stone. So I actually found a way to take the collar off, the sleeve and collar off of a cheap barbell. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, the Atlas Stone trainers. Then you can put your plates on there and actually work on practicing picking and loading plates. It's not, it's, it's better than nothing. So I yeah. will say that helped me, that prepared me for loading the first three or four stones in the stone series I had. But the implement that we had that was our, our press in that very first competition was a log clean and press. It was a 270 pound log. And I think at that point I was just able to do, like I was doing 275 barbell clean and press, no problem. But I had no idea how you clean a log. Yeah. So I was trying to reverse curl, or I was trying to like neutral grip curl a log. Now, 270 pounds, that wasn't working. I almost passed out. I put it down. I saw stars. I was like, okay, I'm going to walk away from that. Yeah, I heard uh, strongman events are notorious for not telling the athletes what's going on until maybe like a week before. So I'm guessing like for prep, you got to do everything, right? Well, yes and no. It all depends on the promoter. So most, okay. am, most amateur levels in the United States, they tell you the moment they announce the competition. The oh, moment okay. they announce that there's going to be a competition, they say, hey, here's what the events are. Um, here's what the weights are. They'll, they'll tell you. If they don't know, like, I, I'm going to be doing one next month, they're still working on what the arm over arm drag is going to be. So weight is to be determined. Okay, no problem but we know it's an arm over an arm drag, train heavy. Um, the higher you go, that's when you start finding out less. So nationals, okay. usually they don't tell you then until 12 weeks out. You know, okay. pro shows, they'll tell you six weeks out, maybe four weeks out. And then some shows, they don't tell you at all. Wow. So you just Two show up at the... <laughs> I, I will straight up admit that my three international shows that I have done 
the very first one, they told us events uh, the Wednesday before the competition. So the day I got there, I found out three of three of the seven events were changing. The other one of the other competitions, I knew one of the five events. So I, I didn't know any of the others. And then the last one I did, three of the events changed on us. Oh, they changed three, it. Wow. Three out of six. Yeah, they'll change, you know, a few of them. Or what they might give you is they'll give you options and say, like, ah, it could be this or that or that. Is this just part of strongman or is this? Yes, because okay. it, you should be prepared to be as strong as possible on that day. Okay. Because really that, that is what it was. I mean, back when strongman started, they didn't know what they were training for. They just showed up and lifted the weights. Okay. Um, so that's really, in my opinion, I'm, I love that. I love that not knowing what you're going to be doing and just kind of showing up. And that allows the strongest person that day. Um, yeah. I should say whoever's the strongest person that day is going to come out on top. Cause some yeah. people, some people are very event specific. Like I'll admit I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm a moving event specific guy where if you have, you know, a few moving events in a competition, I'm going to win those events. Um, but if you have maybe some of the static events, the max events, I might not win those because I'm now a smaller guy. My max numbers aren't necessarily where they used to be. Okay. So it says here you are 2017 national champion uh, for USS. So I was wondering, like powerlifting, are there different like organizations in strongman? Yes, there's there's two in the United States. There's um, Strongman Corporation, and then there's United States Strongman. Okay. Is there so, any difference in competitiveness and stuff like that? A little bit, actually. So in Strongman Corporation, they have an official pro card. Um, okay. So there, you know, you go through the amateur ranks. Then if you win certain competitions, I, it used to be if you won certain levels, um, you got a card. Now I believe it's only Nationals and the Arnold Amateur Classic okay. that you get a pro card if you win. Uh, United States Strongman, they do not have a pro card system, but they allow then anyone to compete. So they have a connection with the Arnold International Circuit. So for example, um, you know, there was a competition I was looking to do last year. It was like Arizona's Strongest Man, I believe. It was, in Feb it was like last February. And they had an Arnold class. The winner of that class got an invite to like Arnold Brazil or okay. some international Arnold professional event. Okay. Anyone can sign up for it. So like you could sign up for the Arnold class and go against someone like Jerry Pritchett, who is a massive World yeah. Strongest Man pro that is, you know, always going around. He could show up and do that competition because I know he lives in Arizona and boom, right around the corner. Um, so anyone can sign up for that. So technically it can be more competitive depending on the division. They so don't, I, so they, they allow pros without having a pro card. So I guess the pro card kind of cuts it down. Like, it makes the meat smaller, I'm guessing, because the, I'm guessing there's like a certain standard you need to get a pro card. Um, it's not a, it's not a standard. You you just need to win. Oh, um, I just, okay. In, in, in Strongman Corporation, you just need to win. Okay. So if you're if you're the best person, I mean you're you're then the professional. Okay. 
So there, there could be 20 to, you know, 40 people in the, in the competition. All right. Well, I just want to know, cause, uh, so there's only two main organizations in only, only two main organizations in the U S. So then those two could then fill, you could funnel you into uh, different circuits. So that's what happened to me in 2017 when I won the 270 pound class at nationals, I qualified to compete in strongman champions league. So okay. that qualified me to then go uh, compete in August, 2017 in Finland uh, for strongman champions league. That was my first international competition. The fact that there's only two organizations in strongman that probably shows how much more organized it is than powerlifting with our many hundreds and hundreds of federations and our different standards for each one. It's strange. Yeah, they're and pretty much they have the same standards. And like mm-hmm. prior to prior to I want to I think it was like five years ago, there was only one league. There was only Strongman Corporation. It was like North American Strongman. So like it's changed names over the years. And then the second one grew out. But there's been others that popped out. Like I knew of somebody who started a league and he wanted to make it, um, you know, a completely like tested league because like you know how there's some powerlifting circuits that are tested and non-tested mm-hmm. in strongman the two strongman circuits are non-tested um, okay. so he someone wanted to start their own tested circuit and that i know fell out after i think like two events it didn't continue what do you we could get into what do you, what do you feel about that the the non-tested thing because i know um i heard on i know the, all the professional strongman events i know most of them are untested as well and then people get into the ethics of it. Oh, you shouldn't be taking steroids or because of, I don't know, the, the influence, I guess. But uh, what, do you, what do you say about that? My personal opinion on it is like, if that's what you want to do, gr- great, good for you. I hope that you're safe with it. I hope that you're smart mm-hmm. and get blood work done and at least um, are being, you know, reading up on it and, and doing all the work and not just saying, Hey, I'm going to do all this because I want to win and I want to be the best. Because sure. um, then that's not going to help you in the long run. Yeah. You're going to, you know, you're either going to fall apart in the sport or you're going to have some severe health issues. For sure. But if they don't, if they do not have a rule banning anything, it's then all... if that's, then it's on you. If you, yeah. if you choose to do it or not do it, that's your personal decision. For sure. Anyway, so, all right, let's get into your competition. So, 2017 Nationals, what went right that day? I concentrated on myself. Um, So, all of my friends know this. I had a mental breakdown probably three weeks prior to that competition. I had an awful training day. Um, I was at my friend Eric Dawson's gym, Titan Barbell. And I, we were doing axle clean and press because that was one of the events. I was working on just speed work this day. I did not move my head out of the way. And as I was bringing the bar down, I knocked myself in my forehead with an, I think it was about a 250 or so pound axle. Just knocked myself out. Um, I didn't, or I should say I knocked myself in the head. I didn't pass out or anything. You know, I dropped the bar down. Um, I staggered back and I don't believe I went for another rep. I'm dumb. I do stuff like that. Okay. Where like, if I, if I heard, if I, if I do something, I wind up trying to go again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the competitor. That's the competitor in me. Um, so after that, great. Put all the axle stuff away. Now I have to train the deadlift. Cause again, 
one of my last deadlift sessions. And I start throwing up in the middle of my deadlifts. Oh. Um, yeah, it was, it was really bad. All of a sudden, we kind of thought maybe I had a concussion or something. I, I was all over the place. So cleaned everything up, and I left. Like, I didn't say anything. I just kind of left the gym. Just three weeks out? Three weeks out. Drove home. I was like, I'm quitting Strongman. I'm never doing this again. I'm done. Um, I just kind of was like, I had a little, like, breakdown that day. And then I just, like, walked away. I didn't go to the gym for a few days. And then I just concentrated on, okay, let me get back. Let me just start moving again. Let me just keep keep the pace. So then I realized I was not on track with my weight. My weight was off. Because um, I was a few pounds over where I needed to be. It was a 275-pound class. My weight was sitting at 270 all the weeks prior. And then all of a sudden, I'm at, like, 280, and I have a panic attack. My coach, Christine, at the time was like, Calm down. Like, it'll be okay. Like, let's just do a water cut and it'll be fine. Um, so actually I took the whole week off of work prior to this competition just so I could focus. The job I was doing at the time was really stressful. I, I wasn't in coaching yet. So I just allowed myself to drink my water, do everything I needed to for my water load to prepare to, to cut all that down. And I was just doing a lot of walking, a lot of thinking, a lot of just getting mentally prepared. And then competition came, great. I made weight by like six, seven pounds, didn't even need to water cut. Like could have just followed my nutrition for a few days and would have been fine and, or maybe not a freak down would have been fine. Uh, so the day came for the competition and I just had fun. I relaxed and I literally just had fun in the moment. Okay. Um, usually I put a lot of pressure on myself. So nationals 2016 in Davenport, Iowa for strongman corporation. I was in what I thought was the best shape of my life. Um, circus dumbbell press was easy. We had a 200 pound dumbbell. I was repping 200 pounds, like nothing in all of my training prior. It was great. Warm ups were great. I hit a double with like 180, and I strained my shoulder. I pulled something. The PT said I possibly like rolled my bicep. Couldn't, all of a sudden, couldn't hold my arm overhead. We go out onto the floor. It's my turn to lift, and I bomb the event. And so I no, did no reps at all. No reps at all. I couldn't. Wow. We didn't concentrate training using my left at all. So when the time came, I only thought of using my right. I pressed it out, and I couldn't maintain the arm there. The arm would fall down every time. I couldn't even stabilize it for a second for them to give me a down command. Wow. And I mentally just fell apart. Because I was like, you're going to do this. You're going to win. Like, this is your competition. Like, we're, we're cruising from here. And I just fell apart. So after that, after that competition, I always told myself, like, let's just have fun. Let's, like, why are you doing strawman? You're doing strawman to have fun. You're not going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're not going to make a massive living off of competing as strongman. You're doing this for fun. Relax and have fun. So when the time came going now to 2017 nationals, I literally had fun, right? I knew a bunch of people there. We're talking, having a blast. I am just concentrating on myself. I'm not worried what anyone else is doing. I'm concentrating on myself and just staying in the moment 
going into the last event and going into the Atlas Stones, I was nervous because Atlas Stones are historically my worst event. I literally, growing up, or growing up, the first eight years in Strongman, I would bomb every Atlas Stone. Whoa, damn. I like literally because it was always a 330 for a heavyweight class. And is this a loading race or is this like just over a bar? It would be over a bar for reps. Okay. Every competition I was doing always had a 330 stone for reps. Just always had a 330 stone. And I would always fail. I remember the first day I hit it in training, I was so excited. Um, But I'd always bomb stones. And then what I wound up getting was um, some stone sleeves that helped me out. Because before I would, I would tape my arms and then this is when I wasn't mentally strong. I would try to pick up the stone, the tape would rip and I'd be like, oh, it hurts my arms. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this. And then I just, I wouldn't pick up the stone. I would kind of like mentally stop trying. And then I got these stone sleeves, these leather sleeves and boom, all of a sudden I would throw every stone up. So I had the strength. I just had a mental block with picking up these stones. Mm-hmm. Um, so great, we're at, comp- we're at the competition. There's lines of people, because I think we had maybe 10 lanes going at once. So oh, you're just oh. hearing, and like I am not watching the top person in line. Like We have a 360-pound stone for reps. I'm just like, hey, you know what? Do you. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. When you get up there, just do what you can do. And the whole time, I'm hearing stones slam against the floor. I'm like, man, people are repping this out. People are getting like stone after stone after stone after stone. No one was getting any of it. About two thirds of the heavyweight class zeroed the Atlas stones. Everyone was bombing? Everyone was bombing. I had no idea. Wow. Uh, my turn was up. I think I loaded it three or four times. Is it a 360 stone? 360 pound stone. So Holy you're just loading it over a bar and they're giving it right back to you. And you're loading okay. it right back. Um, so I think I did it three or four times. I, I can't remember now. And I was just like, okay, cool. I was in sixth place going into that last event. And I just knew I'm like, hey, see what you can do. Maybe you'll get the top five. I mean, obviously you always want to, like I wanted to win going into it. That was always the plan. Um, I had a few little slips here and there that, you know, I think cost me a little, a few points here and there that I would have already been in the top three at that point. And then we were at the awards dinner. And again, like after I'm not worried about what anyone else did, like a few people told me that they zeroed. I was like, okay, whatever happens, happens. We're at the awards dinner and they're announcing second or third place. And I'm like, it wasn't me. I guess I didn't make the podium. They announced second place. Oh, they don't announce the rankings at the meet? No. So this was about five hours later at a banquet. Okay. Because right. they had about 250 people competing in this competition. Oh, all right. Um, yeah, so Nationals was huge. So where everyone's in this massive banquet hall, they announced second place, and second place was the guy who was in first place going into the stones. Okay. I was like, oh, I definitely didn't podium. I didn't, I didn't beat him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they announced my name, and I go, no fucking – oh, no, sorry. Uh, no effing way. Um, <laughs> And had no idea. It was so excited. And I was like, wow, I'm like, it, this, it was meant to be. You concentrated on yourself. You worried about what you needed to in the moment. And it all worked out. 
Yeah, you mentioned that uh, you said you had more fun with it. You were more relaxed at the 2017 Nationals compared to your 2016 where you, where you put an extreme amount of pressure on yourself. Yeah, I, there were a bunch of people that I knew from other competitions and that I didn't know before. Um, or, in the, or, or I should say other people that I knew from like Instagram or Facebook, but we never actually competed with each other yet. Mm-hmm. So I kind of spent most of the time in the very beginning talking to people and then during the competition kind of just building everyone else up like I wasn't worried about myself I was like cool like you did I I did great um or you know I would do the event and then I remember talking to my friend Jeff hey Jeff how'd you do like and we're you know talking back and forth and we're like oh okay great we're building each other up and then you know we're talking to the next person it was oh it was a different atmosphere I didn't go into a little shell kind of just stayed out and stayed like my normal personal self yeah, I'm, I t- usually very, I'm, I'm usually a very outgoing person I'm usually like very loud and um, talkative with a bunch of people yeah. and pri- when I'm usually in competitions I try to shut down and I'm like okay I gotta, I gotta stay in my shell I gotta be like a, a fighter I have, to, I have to stay here not let anyone get in my head then I would get in my own head so instead of just like relaxing, you're at the gym, you're having fun, you're talking to everyone like you usually do, and let's just lift some weights. Works out a whole lot better. Sure. You're, I'm pretty sure when you put that much pressure on yourself, your body probably just stiffens up, just tightens up, probably opens yourself to a lot more injuries than, than, than before when you're just all relaxed and just do what you got to do, you know? Yeah, and, and not so much injuries, but more mistakes. Yeah, yeah. More mistakes because that's what – it all comes down to that in strongman. Like if, if you make a little mistake, that's going to cost you from being in the top to fall into the bottom. Yeah, I, people have told me if, if you don't position your hands correctly on a stone, it will just roll right out of your hands and you're going to have to reset again. And obviously time is crucial uh, in something like that because it's timed, right? It's like max reps for whatever, like one minute or something. Yeah, it's it's really whatever the promoter wants. Okay. Um, so depending on what they have there, it could be um, you know max reps in sixty seconds. It could be a series of stones. So then it's you know as fast as, as fast as possible for the five stones or X number of stones that they may have. So how so did you feel when they when they called your name for that for that gold 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 medal finish? I I was so ecstatic. Um, I I just. It was like midnight at the time. Like it was so late. We were so tired. It was such a long day. I was so excited. We get back to the room, um, and we. I think our flight was in like three hours, so I couldn't even go to sleep because I'm like, I might as well just stay awake. Yeah. It was. It was one of those. One of those things where it's like, you you deserve this. Like you finally earned this. You've you've worked so hard for us. You you put in the time, um, and it finally happened. Was there, was there any prize money along with that or no? No. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I will say the, the great part was they did offer uh, – they did pay part of the plane ticket for my first international show. So the show that I qualified for from nationals, uh, we had to pay the plane ticket to go. Okay. So USS put up um, – I think it was like $500 for everyone's – you know, per person for plane tickets. Okay. So, so that how was many great. people so did that, they take to uh, the international? I think there were six spots up for grabs. Okay. 
um, there it was X number of positions, and you we all didn't go to the same competition. So like oh. it was one spot for everything. So like the one competition that I qualified for, there were fourteen people. I was the only American that was there. Okay. So, so let's let's talk about the strongman champions league because I've never actually heard of that before. But uh, what what was that like? Com- com- you competed outside of the country. Yeah, um, that was a blast. It was actually it's actually funny. Three years ago today, three years ago today was that competition. Um, so it was a two-day competition in Vasa Square in Vasa, Finland, oh, and it was wow. a blast. Um, so I get there, and of course, a few names on the competitor list changed. So I was a little let down by that. Um, one person who I thought was going to be there wound up not competing. Uh, Mark, Mark Felix, don't know if you're familiar with that name. Oh, <laughs> he's the, isn't he the record holder in the Hercules hole? Right. Hercules hold, yep. Also the Denny Stone hold for time. Yes, he's massively strong hands. Um, his hands are huge. They're, they're so strong. Uh, amazing grip strength. But he was supposed to do that competition, or I, at least he was on the initial competitor list. Uh, but I was extremely excited for the list. There was uh, Matthias Belsack from Slovenia. He was competing, and he just came off of competing at World's Strongest Man. Uh, Christoph Radzikowski was competing in that competition. I grew up watching him in, at World's Strongest Man. So to be able to be competing against someone that I grew up watching in the sport was a huge honor. I was, I was super excited. I was fanboying a little bit uh, <laughs> at the very beginning. So I'm like, okay, these are, these are all people that I look up to and now I'm competing with, I'm competing against. Wow. So all the way from Finland, how long is that trip from the, from the States? It was about, I believe, eight hours for the first flight. So we had a few different flights. We, uh, my wife and I went, so she came with me on this trip. Uh, we went first to Copenhagen. We had a short little layover there. Then we had to fly into Stockholm wow. and then Stockholm to Vasa. So it wasn't, it wasn't a nice direct flight. <laughs> but uh, it, the total travel time was like 18, 19 hours between Holy. layovers and everything. Okay. So what, what we did, um, especially because this was my first time going over to Europe, was okay. we got there a few days early. Oh, so that's that, probably a good idea, yeah. Yeah, so that way we could settle in, and if there was any you know, jet lag, I would be able to you know, kind of break that off by the competition. Sure. So was the events, any, anything changed from nationals? Anything crazy that, that, was, that was happening over there? Um, like from what we were told to what the events were that we did. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there were seven different events in the competition and I believe three of the seven in this competition in Finland, uh, changed, but some of them changed for the better. So I honestly wasn't complaining. Cause like I said, when I talked about speed, uh, one of them was supposed to be like a truck pull till a, a stone carry that wound up not being a, an event. Um, cause truck pull is not one of my better events. I'm good at it, but being a smaller guy, mass moves mass. You're considered so a smaller going, guy? Yeah. So at the time going into that competition, I was weighing about 275, 280 pounds. Okay. And the average competitor I was going against was 350. Whoa. Two of the guys I went against, one was 6'9", 440, the other 6'10", 440. 
I actually have a hilarious picture uh, that my wife took of us standing on the stage. This is before the competition started. We had a little thing with, um, it was like a Miss Vasa competition that was going on, like a little beauty pageant. We went on stage with all the competitors. And I'm standing there and I got Mick Katoro from Finland and Sean O'Hagan from Ireland on each side, 6'8", 440, 6'10", and I'm looking up at both of them and I'm like, really, you both of you guys have to stand next to me and make me look like a child. <laughs> um, wow, six foot nine, Jesus. Yeah, I look like a child standing amongst men. Um, so in events like that, being a smaller competitor, uh, you're not, you know, you're not favorited in those events. But it, it was great. The day one, so this was this event was split in two days. We had three events on the first day and four events on the second day, which really worked out for our benefit because day one was pouring down rain. It was like 65 and just rain or maybe 70 and rain. And day two was 75 and sunny. So it was perfect. <laughs> was, it rain, was it raining for any of the, like, what, was there like, uh, like carrying like a lot of on, the, on that rainy day? One of them. Oh, wow. And <laughs> it was great. That was my event. So like I, like I said, moving events are, are my jam. If I'm going to do a moving event, I'm going to win. And uh, I won. So actually, the, it, the event started, we had Viking Press. Okay. So are, are you familiar with what a Viking Press? Uh, I, I believe it's, a, it's like a neutral grip press, right? Yeah, so it all depends. Um, ours was actually a, a pronated grip. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it's, it's different. Some of, them, some of them you could be facing in, some you could be facing away, some it's a neutral grip. Uh, but yes, it is a grip that's in front of your face. You can't double dip, so it's, you're push pressing it. Um, and once you put it down, you're, I should say it's as many reps as possible. Once you put it down, you're done. So okay. I believe I, I got middle of the pack somewhere in that, on that event, or maybe towards the bottom. I, I think it was like five or so. But either way, uh, then our next event was a frame carry. So it was uh, 300 kilos for 20 meters down and back. Okay. In the pouring down rain. Oh. And again, like farmers, frames, I don't care. That's, that's my thing. During warmups, everything felt good. I knew what the ground was like. I'm, I'm seeing the rain. So I, I knew I was aware of myself. Down and back, I was already down, turned, picked up the frame, and was back before my, the guy who I was going against finished half of his first course. Was everyone good, though? No one slipped? No one uh, slipped. Yeah, no one, no one slipped. No one fell. No, nothing like that. No one got hurt. Okay. Um, so I finished that in less than 20 seconds. Holy, 300 kilos, huh? That's 660 pounds? I yes. Holy yeah, God. about 660 pounds. 20 meters down and back, drop it, turn around, pick it up, run again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was under 20 seconds. That, like I said, that, that was my thing. That, that's my jam. And then, boom, the, the last heat were the top two competitors, which were Matthias Belsack and Christoph Rajkowski. So it was great to see that uh, both of them came up short of my time. Oh, wow. So yeah. it, was, it was great. Hey, it's my, it was my second ever event at a pro competition, and I won against 13 other guys. So extremely excited, but that excitement was very short-lived. Because <laughs> the next event, um, and this is why I say, like, you make one little slip, you're going to fall right down the standings. Yeah. The next event was a keg toss. But it wasn't our version of a normal, you know, half keg 
where it's got some nice handles on there and it's big and we can really throw that. These were small little cylinders that were maybe the size of two liter bottles. Uh, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a three liter bottle. And they had just like a little lip on the edge that just your fingertips could go around. Wow. And so that were, were, how high was the bar? 15 feet. Okay. And the weights went, I believe, 17 or 19 kilos to 25 kilos. Okay. And there were five of them. And I was, uh, usually what they do in, in these competitions is they change the order. So whoever won, whoever won the previous event is going to go last now because you want to see what everyone else does yeah. before you. You want to know what you got to do to win. Yeah. Which is great if you're one of these guys that usually does all these things. So for me, that then threw me into a shell because I am now watching everyone else. Like we're doing the warm ups and like, okay, I'm like, this sucks, but I can do this. Um, I, I knew I wasn't going to be very good at this. I didn't have a keg where I could train. Like I was practicing throwing little sandbags or little like slam balls that weighed 25, 40 pounds. So I was not fully prepared for this event. And I'm watching people get like eight seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, throwing these five kegs, 12 seconds. I'm like, oh, oh boy, this is, this is going to be rough. I, I'm going, so now I'm the last one. I think my third or fourth keg. It slips, and it does not go over. And I have to turn around, grab it, reset, throw it. Great, I get it. Throw the next one. 19 seconds. I went, I was, I think, like ninth or no. I think I was 11th out of 14 in that event. So I went now from being like third overall to seventh overall. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, so you really drop very fast. So that was that hurt <laughs> hurt a little bit. Yeah, and the kegs were shaped differently, right? You said they were they were a bit thinner than uh, than a normal half half was a half barrel or half. Keg. Yeah, it was it was just really small. Um, it was like a small little cylinder, so it wasn't. It was even smaller than a pony keg. So that what was your was strategy for throwing it? I mean, you, you have to just tilt it to the side. Your fingers go on each end of it. So your fingertips just go under. Uh, and you're literally, it's like a kettlebell swing. You're hinging right over and you're throwing it right behind you overhead with a slight arc, hoping that it goes right over the bar. Wow. So was this the year that you placed sixth? Yes, this was the competition that I placed sixth. So that was, that was day one, those first three events. Day two, we had another four events. So the first one started a team event where we actually drew numbers out of a hat and two people competed together on a team. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so I competed with uh, Jarno Kursula from Finland. We did a, I did a Magnuson stone, which it's a cross. Um, so it's probably about three and a half feet high with a cross beam at approximately two and a half, three feet. And you have to squat down, hug your arms around it, stand up, and run with it. So I believe mine was something around like 170 kilos for 20 meters. I took that. I had to carry that down, then run back down the course, tag Yarno, and then he started dragging a, I believe it was a 300-kilo tire. Wow. Yes. So 
he was uh he had then it was a we wound up using like close grip handles like you use on a close grip seated row machine mm-hmm. and you were then dragging that and dragging the tire the 20 meters back that's strange so they put you in teams how, how does that affect your ranking then how did they how did they score that uh they score everything double points so oh, no okay. one would get no one would get zero points you if you were last place or if you didn't get anything you would wind up getting two points so it is a little weird if you wind up getting paired with somebody who doesn't do very well like happened to me on my second competition um then then it hurts but um i i think what it does is it really adds a a different little flair that usually doesn't happen um so this this circuit, so Strongman Champions League, they usually do a lot of events in a competition. So that way, this is kind of like a bonus event, okay. where like it it shouldn't really hurt you if like if you were going to podium this event, even if you had a bad teammate, is it shouldn't affect you. Okay. You know, what I mean, they have so many events, you should be on the podium anyway. Um, but it does add a little different flair. It gets kind of people working together. And it, and it was honestly, it was fun competing and, and doing it together. Um, so I think we play somewhere in the middle or towards the bottom of the pack. Uh, and then the next event wound up being a front hold, I believe. Um, at least that was one of the next events. So yes, we literally standing against the pillar. We had a bucket of tomatoes. Yep. Uh, you said that I said that right. A bucket of tomatoes. Um, you know, it was, it was the sponsor we were doing, it was a farmer's market. So they always okay. <laughs> want to have the sponsors kind of a part of the events. So I believe there were some weights in the bottom, but in the top, it was filled with a lot of produce that was going on in the farmer's market right next to us. Um, so it was, it was, it provided a really cool look. Okay. So we stand against, uh, these beams. You have to keep your back and butt against the beam and hold a 25 kilo box out shoulder, shoulder height right in front of you for max time. Wow. That's Matt's shoulder work right there. That's... Yes, it's as bad as it sounds. And you have to stand close enough to the beam, to the pillar, that you can't, that I should say, you can't really lean against it and push against it. To oh, you can't support. leg drive it? Okay. Yeah, you can't really leg drive it to help keep your butt against it. And also, there's no weight against these pillars that we had. They were just like plastic hollow pillars. Oh, wow. So, like, the moment you actually pushed against them, they moved. So, you just had to kind of gently lean against it and um, really have strong shoulders. And I did not have strong shoulders at at that event. How heavy did you say it was? 25 25 kilos. So, 55 pounds. What was the best time for that? Uh, I think it was like 45 seconds or so. Wow. I wound up getting the, the two times I've had to do that event. It was both actually in um, SCL Finland competitions in 2017 and 18. I got around like 30, 32 seconds. Wow. So clearly like that's one of my, my weak things I need to continue to work on. Well, you said you placed six, but what, um, what was the overall experience for, for Finland? So overall, overall experience is great. Actually, I want to, I want to go into the last two events. So the last oh, ones yeah. we had, um, it was car deadlift. So it was a 370 kilo car deadlift for reps. Wow. Which weighing in at not a lot, weighing in at 125, um, I wound up pulling it for two reps, which I, I was pleased with. I wanted a third. Um, but again, I did well comparing myself to a lot of other guys that were much bigger than me. 
they were all getting two reps as well at that point in the competition. And then we went into our last event. It was a sandbag medley. So this is, again, where I say it helps if you're fast. It helps if you're quick and able to recover and you have really good conditioning. It was a five sandbag series. Usually, we do not have that many sandbags. Usually, there might be like three of them, and they're much heavier. These were five sandbags that all weighed 100 kilos. And we had a 25, or uh, I think it was a 15-meter course. So we had to carry each one loaded in a van, run back, get the next one, carry that loaded in the van. I got second place in that event. So Matias Belsack beat me by, I think, two seconds. And he was in the last heat to go. So that helped me go from, I think I was in ninth or eighth place, going into that last event, all the way to sixth place. Okay. So you said carries, carrying is your bread and butter. That's your... Carrying is my bread and butter. Moving. I'm very quick on my feet. Okay. So... So for the so was it still fin- Finland after that was uh, just a little little break and all that? Yeah. So actually, um, after Finland, I came back and it was time to get ready for the official strongman games. So that that started the first year that we we had the official strongman games down in uh, I believe it was it was North Carolina at the time. And what they were doing, it's a qualifier for a World Strongest Man qualifier for the heavyweight class. Because, again, at that time, I'm still weighing 300 pounds. Um, I bulked up for that. And then all the other classes, they were doing World Strongest Man, World Strongest Woman um, for all the individual weight classes. They, this was, that was the first year they were really bringing that back. So we had an online qualifier that I quickly trained for, submitted videos for. We had like an online submittal process to get invites to this competition especially since it was the first time in, in, that they were doing it. Um, so I, I got that invite. That was great. That was going on in December. And then as I was training for that, I actually got invited to go to another Strongman Champions League competition. I wound up middle of October. I got invited to go to Greece in the beginning of November. And it wound up being on my birthday weekend. So, of course, I'm 100% not turning that down. <laughs> yeah. So I got to, uh, before I went to go compete at the official strongman games at a Giants Live qualifier, I got to go to Greece and do another international competition. So that was a blast as well. Uh, my, my wife didn't come with me on that one, so I, I just went. That was a short little weekend. <laughs> yeah. Literally, we, um, I left on Wednesday, got, went, left Wednesday night, got there Thursday night. We had media all day Friday competed all day Saturday, flew home Sunday morning. Wow. Quick, quick. Literally, like we had 48 hours in the country. (laughs) Wow. Anyway, so I think that pretty much wraps up your, uh, the competition experience. So uh, let's move on to uh, your coaching. So you are a strongman coach. Um, What would you say is the best thing about being a coach from your experience? seeing people do things that they um, that they never thought they could do. And, and one thing I want to specify, so I'm not just a straw man coach. So actually most of my clients are actually uh, general population clients that want to just get stronger, um, are very interested in lifting. They haven't done it before and they're, they really want to get into it. 
Um, so that's actually where most of my, my clients are. I have a lot of, um, for example, like younger women who, who want to get into either the sport or lifting in general. Okay. Um, so see, but either way, it doesn't matter which side, seeing people do things that they never thought they could accomplish. Like that's an amazing thing to see as a coach, seeing my clients be successful. Um, I had, or one of my clients was compete, uh, competed last year now. Wow. It's, feel like this whole COVID thing just kind of erased half of yeah. the year and has thrown everything off. Um, so she competed September of last year and I only had four weeks to work with her going into the competition. It was her second show ever. And boom, we were able to max out her deadlift. And obviously, you know, the big things we improved over the short period of time was form and, and working on staying tight and having that maximum drive, that maximum power off the floor. She was able to deadlift 325 pounds, and her best deadlift prior to that was 255 pounds. Oh. So competition day, seeing you know, her able to do 70 pounds more than she ever could do prior to that was, uh, was amazing to see. Yeah. Isn't it weird that a lot of people put, put this weird mental block on themselves? I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, 100%. That's actually um, one of the tricks that I like to do with a lot of my clients, especially when we're testing – um, or not even when we're testing, if we're just having a heavy day, like we're just having a heavy training session, I'm going to take you to a different part of the gym and use kilo plates. So a lot of my, like most of my clients, you know what kilos throw me off sometimes, especially when you're getting into like, you know, I'm good with the, the sets, the twenties, the thirties, the four, either way, you know, the even numbers. Uh, but Hey, what 63 kilos, uh, you know, some 67 kilos, some of the odd numbers. I'm not very quick with doing the math. Um, neither are my clients. So when I want to get them out of their own head, I will take them to a different area of the gym and throw on weights that they can't do the math of real quick. Oh, so wow. you're not thinking of what you're lifting. You're literally just lifting the weight that I'm putting in front of you. You know what to do. Concentrate on doing it. That's an interesting strategy. And they, they usually end up succeeding? Always. Wow. That's crazy. Always. Yeah. Now, maybe we might not do the lift at the time because, you know, maybe, maybe it's too far and I'm pushing them, but I tell them I'm getting through the mental block. Yeah. They're not knowing what's on the bar. Just pick it up. Because the moment you start thinking about the weight, even if, you know, even if you have, uh, you're mentally strong, like I've done this here and there, like, okay, Ooh, I, I did this to myself the other, the other week I was going for, um, for 700. I just pulled 675 and I'm like, whew. All right, it's the first time, first time pulling 700 in uh, six months. Ooh, ooh, yeah, this is, this is. So, even though I'm, I'm, I know I could do it, I started to psych myself out. Yeah. Like, ooh, this, this is getting heavy. This, this. So I talked myself out of the lift, and then yeah. I failed the lift. So I knew if, if I was myself, if I was my coach, I would have threw on. I would have not told myself what I was putting on. Is this strategy you use with? with every client or is just people who, who end up like, who always say that, that, that I can't do it. Like they, they just doubt themselves. Uh, people that are just having an off day or like a, a mental block that day. Like, okay. and it's, it's not the same. Like I, I might do it to you today. I might not do it. Like, you know what I mean? I should say I might never have had to do this before. And you come in and like, Oh yeah. Work threw you off. You're having, you're having a rough day. It was, it was hard day with at the office or you had a bad conference call. And you're just, you're not thinking. Okay. And then if, if I throw the weight in front of you and you know the weight, 
you're going to start psyching yourself out. So if I know that that's going to happen, I will then take them to a different part of the gym. Okay. That's definitely interesting. I've never actually heard a coach doing that, but uh, it seems to be working for all of your clients. Yeah, you know, it does. Because again, like I'm, they, because again, they start thinking about it. Oh, I've never, I haven't done that before. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get, ooh, that's heavy. I'm starting to get in the PR territory. Yeah. So just pick it up. Don't worry about it. Um, so like, I mean, I have some people that will turn away and not look at the weights, like as I'm putting it on. <laughs> so this yeah. is just like, if I, when I know like that's going to happen, I'll just take them to a different area of the gym. So when you first meet a client, what is your, you have like some sort of evaluation that you go through? Yep. Yeah. Everyone gets a, a free assessment. Um, so I offer, and also the gym that I, I work out of mass barbell, especially if you're a new person coming to check out that gym, your first training session at that gym is free. So it's, it's a whole free day at the gym. Um, so I, I schedule a day with the client. Um, and if, if it's someone that I'm working with remotely, it, you know, we schedule a FaceTime call or we schedule a zoom call and we talk about what your goals are, you know, your training history, pretty much it's a whole assessment to understand as much as I can understand about you. And then especially if you're someone that I'm working with in person, we go out on the gym floor, we're going through all these movements. I want to see how you move. Um, do you have any imbalances? Do you have anything we really need to work on? Um, if not, great. What are the things you know? What do I need to teach you? And I try to understand where I need to focus all of our training. Yeah. Because you might say like, yeah, I want to I wanna come. I want to lift 500 pounds. I want to do all this. But if you can't get into a deadlift position, I'm not throwing anything on the bar yet. Yeah, for sure. I'm not allowing you to lift anything yet. Um, so I want to see how you move and how I can uh, make sure that you're not going to build up all these bad habits that people do when they just kind of do it on their own. Have you had an experience like that where you had to slow an athlete down? Like uh, he was getting a little too crazy with his, because I've seen a lot of athletes that they don't, they'll always go off program. They'll always keep maxing out, maxing out, maxing out. And I always get concerned. I'm like, oh God, he might, he might actually pull something. Have you ever had to do that? Yes. Um, with one of your, uh, and, and he knows this. Um, so it's no biggie with one of your previous uh, members you had on a uh, podcast, Ryan. Um, oh, Ryan. All right. Ryan. Yes. R Ryan's very big and he's going to be the first teenager to ever lift the Denny stones. I know that that's one of his big goals. He's been training a lot for the Denny stones. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> And doing all of his training, uh, he's been going kind of consistently heavy with it. And it's time to like, no. So he had, uh, he had just a little bit of some mobility issues, or not some mobility issues, but some trap issues starting to act up from constantly doing the Denny Stones. So now we've had to, you know, take some time off of that, do some mobility work, do some PT work to make that go away. And now we are going to then look to implement Denny Stones again later. But in a different manner. How heavy are the Denny Stones? Bro? So the Denny Stones, uh, these are one of those you know, famous stones from Scotland, the Stones of Strength. They are actually two different weights. So one of them is approximately, I'm going to get them wrong, but about like 315 and the other one's around 415. So they're actually two completely different weights. And how you pick them up, you actually straddle them and your arms are kind of twisted. So you're, 
you're meant to be in a twisted cocking motion kind of and you have to straddle them and then pick them up so whatever shoulder is going to take that front one is getting turned in it's getting twisted so anyone who's training for these if you're training heavy and training a lot if you're not doing a lot of pt work with it um you're going to start having that shoulder kind of turn in and having some mobility issues in your chest and possibly in the back for sure so back to coaching um i want to talk about like social media and these uh so-called like fitness experts they uh they hate social media (laughs) yeah i i know as a as a coach i know it's very important um you like to individualize because there's no set cookie cutter program out there. Um, not everything will work for like any, not like maybe something will work for this guy, but it won't work for someone else. And obviously some of these fitness gurus that they call themselves, they'll, they'll say, everyone should do this. If you're not doing it, you're missing out on, on a lot of gains. And it kind of throws a lot of lifters off. What do you, what do you think about that? I think a lot of that's silly. Everyone's on their – because there's not one cookie-cutter program for everybody. If you're going to say there's one cookie-cutter program thing that can go across the board for every single person, it is eat for what you're trying to accomplish. Eat proper nutritious food for what you're trying to accomplish. Because if you're not eating the right food, you're you're not going to be successful in what you're trying to do. Because that's sure. that, that's ultimately what happened to me. I mean, I I did I tried so I shouldn't say I tried so many different things, but like I was always coming up short in my training from where I wanted. So like, ah, oh, like what what's the next thing to do? What's the next training thing to try? Is there should I work with this person? Should I look at that? Should I try this? Uh, but I was fueling myself with you're lifting heavy, you're eating half a pizza and a pint of a pint of Ben and Jerry's every night. <laughs> um, you're you're not feeling yourselves with the proper nutrition. All of a sudden, yeah. you start eating the proper things, and whatever you're trying to accomplish is going to meet. I shouldn't say immediately, but whatever you're trying to accomplish is going to happen. If you eat towards your goals, doesn't matter what you're doing in the gym. If you eat towards your goals, you're going to accomplish what you need to accomplish. I think that's probably especially hard for, especially in today's time the internet has so much information. You search one Google question, you get like 6 million results and people get caught up. They're like, Oh, maybe I'll get, they'll do this one. They'll, it's very hard for an average person to stick just to a program and actually see themselves progress. So yeah. From, from like a training standpoint, you're saying? Yeah. 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 So from, from a training standpoint, that's why like the people that, um, that I work with, I'm, you know, especially I, I do a small group class. I have like a power building class that has a lot of general population people that are looking to get stronger. They, they just want to keep lifting, want to just get stronger, want to get bigger. Um, so what I tell everyone is great. Well, we're going to test. We're, we're going to test. So every three to six months, we're going to, you know, depending on everything that's going on, which, you know, right now it's like nine months because um, we're starting everything back up with COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to test and then we know where our maxes are and let's train the process. So I keep track of everyone's weights. I make sure I, the big thing I tell everyone is keep track of what we're doing, write everything down. Don't just come into the gym and just do stuff. If you can keep track of everything, you can then go back through your notes 
and see, wow, I have gotten stronger. I am seeing all these gains. I might not see it in the mirror immediately, but I'm seeing it on the barbell because I'm going from 100 pounds to 125 pounds. I'm going from 200 to 250. Um, I, that's the part I, I should say, go back, I made the comment about hating social media. The part I like about social media is if you're doing it for yourself and keeping track of yourself. Um, so like a lot of my clients are posting their videos because they want to post them for themselves. They don't have a massive following. They want to see what they can do. Well, uh, Ryan, I'm just going to call him out. He's, his deadlift improved a hundred pounds in a year. We looked from his video. We looked from a competition he did in July of last year. It was an axle deadlift. Mind you, okay, axle to barbell. So there is a slight difference. But Axel deadlift, he deadlifted 355 pounds at a, in a competition, max deadlift event. So you're given everything, you're given, given it your all. Beginning of July this year, we're back into the gym. He pulls 455 at maybe 90, his 95, 98%. Wasn't full go. Wasn't a full struggle. Um. He, though, films all of his lifts and stuff like that. He sends them to me or, you know, like we talk about them. He can see his progress in the barbell. You looked at three months, you look at six months, you can see your progress and that keeps you going. So, like, that's where I like social media. People are doing it for themselves when they can actually see that growth in themselves. Yeah, and then there's the other side where um, obviously the people that do have a large following, they'll only post the good the good parts of their training the prs the the one rep maxes the the five rep maxes and then i think it kind of confuses the younger lifters like oh wow nothing's going wrong in his training there are no bad days you know and they they don't see the behind the scenes they don't see the you know the days that that maybe work work that your boss gets on you your you know maybe life gets just gets a little little shitty you know yeah I think more of the people that are doing, that are posting about constant good stuff and nothing that's ever bad is more of those people that are listed as like social media influencers. Now I feel like I'm going down like a controversial, like feel here. So I'm going to start coming out with opinions. Um, but I don't know. That's I think fine. if you're more of an, if you're more of an influencer, you're just kind of trying to like, again, everything sky's pretty. It's always rainbows and butterflies. Yeah. Like everything is perfect. But a lot of the people that I know in the strength world, post a lot about their failures, their shortcomings, their mistakes, um, you know, mistakes in the sport, mistakes in life, how they've grown, things like that. I know like I, I made a comment the other day um, with one of my posts because, you know, I'm, I'm on a cut right now. Again, I used to be in the 300s, the low 300s. I think my highest point, I was 330. I'm sitting right now at 240 pounds. Um, I've, like I'm getting leaner. I, I have abs and everything like that, but I have a whole lot of loose skin, like in, not in my torso, but in my stomach. Cause again, I was, I was much wider in my stomach. Um, so mentally like I'm going to be having some mental blocks. Like, yeah, I posted a, I posted a shirtless video of me lifting, but I wasn't very comfortable posting that. Um, and I, I talked a little bit about that and I know like I'm going to have some of those mental blocks that even though I'm doing really well, with this cut, uh, there's some things where I'm like, man, I'm still not happy with. And I, I want to talk about that because it's not usually talked about from a male standpoint, or at least I haven't seen it. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, for men, I guess that is there's like this certain rule, like this unspoken rule that we can't talk about our emotions. We can't, we can't yeah, cry. No, we can't, you know. I'm I'm a, I'm mentally all screwed. Like I'm I'm getting very lean, um, but man, I'm feeling feeling small, and I'm like I'm not, you know, I'm like not loving everything because again, you're now have this extra skin, so it's like mentally it's like a little block. But and actually, I go go back to that little comment I just made about feeling small. I was helping out at a competition yesterday, and um, I, I love hanging out with all the heavyweight competitors because again, I. I'm, a, I'm still mentally a heavyweight competitor because um, again, that my last, all my competitions I did were heavyweights. So I'm hanging out with everyone and I'm looking up to everybody and everyone's thicker than me. Yeah. I'm like, wow, I, I don't feel like a heavyweight straw man anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure they're, they're not to crap on them, but um, pretty sure there are numerous health benefits to the dropping weight from oh, well, being that heavy. 100%. I mean, also, I'm, I'm the kind of person that, like, I have to remind myself that I'm still there. So, actually, um, after everyone went for the deadlift, I borrowed someone's straps. And cold, I pulled 15 reps that, at the same weight the heavyweights were doing with no belt or knee sleeves or anything like that. And the winner got 20. Second place was 18. So, I mean, that's pretty good being cold with no belt. Okay. <laughs> so... I think that pretty much covers your coaching, but uh, so you you competed in strongman for how long now, or at least competed? It's been, it's been eleven years. Eleven years. So, eleven years in the making. How? Who are you most grateful for in this journey? Oh, my wife, completely. She has she has put through so much crap with me being cranky with my training and and this is kind of going back through some of those mistakes i had with other competitions and not doing well putting all my pressure on myself um dealing with my poor attitudes and like always supporting me if i've did well or didn't do well um always kind of being there i mean she has i owe a lot of it to her i owe all of it to her <laughs> wow any any family members did they did they understand your strongman training yeah. Um, yeah. I, they, they always, they always have, I will say like, um, you know, my parents in the very beginning were a little concerned again, like, Oh, you're, you're lifting heavy things. Are you going to be okay? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're going to be fine. Like you guys put me in the, you guys pushed me into football in the high, you know, when I was 13 years old. So if we're thinking football's okay, I'm sure lifting weights is okay. I'm not running into people smashing my head numerous times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I will say it was always kind of funny. Um, so again, growing up on a farm, when I would come home, like I'm the guy that's lifting all this stuff. So then I, it's telling my great uncle about all of these things. You know, he was uh, my best friend growing up. So, you know, I'd tell him all the stories about, hey, I'm, I lifted this, I did this, I did that. And he would always tell me, man, man I've, I really wish we had you back in the day when we still did potatoes. Because <laughs> back, back in the day, my family was, uh, they were potato farmers. So every day they would be bringing, you know, loading the 50 pound bags of potatoes and bringing them down to Atlantic city and Philadelphia to the different farmers markets. Okay. So it was always fun. So I always had that support. Good. Having, having the positive, I'm pretty sure as a coach now, you probably have a lot 
an even bigger support group. Now your your clients have someone to look up to. They now there's like a you have to set the standard kind of. You have to like be an example to to all of your athletes. Yeah, and I I will say like there are times where like I have slipped, and they help hold me accountable. So I will say it's, I'm very appreciative for all of my clients, all of my fellow gym members that I have at Mass Barbell, because we're not just um, we're you know a nice community. We're not just you know coach and client. We're not just fellow gym members. We're a nice community. And we all kind of help push each other and hold each other accountable. Um, you know, it's one thing I've, I was doing well with my nutrition, then I was falling apart. And then I was like, you know what, I really need to do, I need to kick this cut up. Um, so when I actually, what I started doing was I was posting my food for like a week. I posted everything I was eating every single day. And some of my clients were like, you know what, I'm going to start doing that. I need to take, you know, my coach is taking ownership of his nutrition. I need to take better ownership of my nutrition. So a lot of my clients started doing that. Now, like some of us, myself, um, I've fallen off of posting everything I'm eating every day. I'm posting all the new stuff that I'm coming up with for uh, my work. But um, I've stopped posting all that. But everyone, we're all still maintaining that lifestyle. We're eating all the things we're supposed to be eating. We're, we're all keeping each other accountable. We're all talking about our nutrition. For sure. And this is all through, um, so you said your business is Radical Strength and Fitness. Radical strength and fitness, yes. And that's uh, that's that you do all your coaching through that. Yep, I, I do all my coaching through that. So I recently came out came uh, I re I should say I recently started that business thing. Re recently restarted. I everything I was just kind of doing on my own. And as a girl, I'm like, okay, I, I need to have I want a banner. I want something to to work under. And radical, my my initials are Richard Anthony to Stephanie. So Brad, I always had a. Rad was always my initials growing up. And I was like, I got to have my name in something. So, you know, Radical. Yes. So that's also on Instagram, at Radical Strength of Fitness? At Radical Strength of Fitness, yes. Yep, hit it up, guys. And, and then also, I mean, you can also find me at, at Strongman Rich D. That is my personal one. So I do, have, I do have a lot more information on there if you want to go see my past and kind of see the transformation over the years. Uh, but everything now gets posted on both. Yeah, if anyone's also in uh, Massachusetts, uh, you're from Mass Barbell, right? Yes. Yeah. Mass Barbell in Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah. So right over in Central Mass. But I, I work with anyone all over, all over, actually, now the world. One of my clients just told me today that she's moving out of the country. So I'm going to be working with someone internationally now. Wow. So, I, so at least I'll be able to say I'm an international coach. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think the final <laughs> segment of this podcast uh, – is going back into the history of strongman and talking about the stuff that people used to do for you know their rites of passage like scotland stone lifting um i think there was a certain weight that you needed to lift to be considered a man um i can't i can't confirm this but this is just what i've been hearing from talks talking to strongman yeah that's the um actually rogue did a great documentary uh I believe it's on YouTube. At least I remember seeing it on YouTube. It might actually be on Netflix now. Um, oh, really? Okay. But it's called Full Sturker. And it is about all the Icelandic stones and about how, like, you need to, you're, you know, you're becoming a man by lifting all these different manhood stones. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to specifically say manhood stones because manhood stones are actually another set of stones. Uh, but they're all these different stones of strengths. But they, in Iceland, they have the full Sturker stone, which, like, you officially are, like, 
a man if you can lift that stone. But it's a great documentary. It's like 40 minutes long. Um, it goes into the whole different history. They actually lift a bunch of different stones, including obviously the main Husafel stone. Oh yeah. Uh, the Husafel stone, I should say, in Iceland. That is, that is on my bucket list. To, to go to Iceland and lift it? Yes. Carry it around? That, that is on my bucket list whenever, whenever we're allowed to, to travel places. Um, but I, I, the Denny Stones are great. I'm not set so much at lifting the Denny Stones because honestly, I know the training will just ruin my body. Um, so I <laughs> okay. don't, I'm really okay with kind of twisting and picking all that stuff up, but I do like front carries. Um, so yes, it's on my bucket list of, tra- of picking up and carrying that piece of bell. Where in Iceland is it? I have no idea. I, or I should say, like, I remember hearing, I don't recall, um, I'm not exactly, you know, I haven't planned the trip out yet, so I'm not, I haven't <laughs> even paid attention to the exact city. Yeah. But I remember they talked about all of that in the documentary. It's in, like, the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I see these, YouTube videos. A lot of these stones are all in the middle of nowhere, like, they're on someone's farm or on someone's land, and you have to, like, talk to that person to kind of make sure that you're allowed to go out there to go and do it at that time. Like that's what the Denny stones are like. The Denny stones are a whole thing. You actually need to like reach out to them and schedule a time to go and pick them up. Wow. You have to show them that you're legit. You have to send them an actual video of like you picking up an example of that or like a deadlifting a certain amount of weight. And then when they do that, like the whole town comes out to watch you. Wow. Okay. Everyone so they, comes out to watch you. Your name, they take your picture and go, you're, you sign a book. Like you go down in history if you do the wow. Denny Stones. So, so, so like, the, is the Denny Stones thing. like a carry? Um, there's different picks. So the Denny okay. Stones, there's actually three different options. There is um, a pick with straps. So you could use straps and you actually go down in the version of the history book with straps. Um, there is the straddle pick, you know, the, the normal pick with no straps, just your grip. And then there's a pick and carry. Wow. So there's actually, um, the History Channel did a show a year or a year and a half ago. It was like the, the history of strength. I'm going to get this wrong. Or strongest man in history. Strongest man in history. Uh, Brian, Brian Shaw. Shaw and, yeah. Yeah. Um, they did that. They did the Dinny Stones in one of the episodes. They went to Scotland. And he actually did a farmer's walk with the Denny Stones and he set the record. I think he, I think it was maybe like 15 feet or something like that. Who, Shaw? Shaw. Oh, okay. Yeah, Shaw did, Shaw did it. The, whatever the distance was, I, I don't recall, but uh, Brian Shaw was the one who did it and he accomplished it. So, and that's, as you're carrying them, you know, there's 100 pounds different between one hand versus the other. And these stones oh are on rings. So you're you don't you're not holding on nice handles. You're holding on to old rusty circular rings. Oh man, that are like five eighths an inch thick, something like that. So they're digging into your hand, tearing it apart. Yeah, I think the only videos I've ever seen of Denny Denny Stone training was from your client Ryan, and I I think he uses hook grip, if I'm not mistaken. I think. Yeah, most people do. Yeah. Yeah, getting uh, used to that is a pain. <laughs> I would imagine. Hook grip. I, I learned about hook grip way too long. It doesn't make sense to me, so I don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried, and I'm like, this now. I'm like, this feels wrong. This feels wrong in every way. No, thank you. Well, a lot of people. I think the main reasons for people doing hook grip is like 
either they're Olympic lifters or they're, they're like afraid of bicep tears or something? I mean, I really, I, bicep tear, I, I, bicep tear, I wouldn't think would happen. I mean, either because I've torn my bicep. So, um, yeah, bi- bicep tears really wouldn't matter with your grip on carrying something like that. But I would think you mainly have that Olympic background. Like Ryan had more of an Olympic background before he started into all the strongman training into the uh, Denny Stone training. So he was used to hook grip already. Uh, yeah, I was thinking back. So, so you, yeah, going back to the Husabelle Stone, um, I think the story behind that was like a sheep's pen or something. Yes. It was like a yeah, door. Yeah, so it's a, it's a door to a sheep's pen. So you actually, like, when you go to pick it up, it's literally like a stone corral you pick it up and have to carry it around the corral and like put it back. And that was, um, it's like 417 the, pounds. Holy moly. And you just, and you just carry, carry it around the sheep's pen. Yeah. And I guess is was that a thing in Iceland? Is like, if you, if you do this, you're a man or is that, is that all like Scotland stuff? That, that was the thing in Iceland as well. Yeah. So Iceland has the full Sturker stones. They all do. So everyone had like their own kind of manhood stones. Oh, all right. Okay. So that, because again, that was, that's where that history kind of came from, where again, it's the strongest is the best. So everyone yeah. kind of had that, that method of, you know, being really strong and showing it off. I think that uh, I can't confirm this either. This is, this, this is something I hear, but I heard uh, back then people, they did the, the stone lifting as well to hire people like on a fishing boat. Like, yes. it, like if you wanted to work on this fishing boat, I want to see you pick up that stone to prove that you're strong enough. Yeah, that was actually, that's, um, they actually talked about that in the full Sturker documentary from Rock. Uh, one of okay. the stones is, they were like, yeah, this is the one, if you pick this up, you're now allowed to be a fisherman. Wow. What are they yeah. lifting as fishermen, though? Just insane catches of fish? Just... I mean, if you think about it, anything you got to pull and drag and the equipment, I mean, if you've yeah. ever... I, I I watched it a handful of times that um, the the one of the Baltics or not the the Arctic the, the the deep sea fishing one where they're going after the oh. crabs. I, I see. I only watched it a handful of times. So I forget the name of it. Oh uh, well, I don't know. Well, but yeah, but you know the one I'm talking about. Though they they have all these giant cages and you're moving around, so you yeah. gotta have some strength to be able to do these things. And you're also looking at you know a thousand years ago. So they don't have a lot of this technology. So they're probably using oh, yeah, nets and right, having to yeah. drag things. And like, you got to be really strong. You yeah. don't have technology. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how they, how, they, how they taught technique for the stones back in the day. I hope they just, everyone wasn't just ripping their, 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 their biceps with some stones. Same, it's honestly the same thing you do now. You got to straddle it. You squeeze it. You lap it and load it. It, it sounds pretty easy. But I mean, once you, once you look at it, when the stone gets so heavy, there's no way you can get your arms under it and pick it up an improper way. Yeah. Once the stone gets that heavy, like you have to do it the same way. And I'm sure they do, or they did exactly what we do today. Um, you know, if you go to a competition and you're really new at doing something, you're going to watch that first person. That first person is going to pick her up. Oh, that's how I do it. Okay. Yeah. Just mimic them. I think a lot of people, when they see Atlas stone lifting, they freak out because they're like, oh, God, it's a rounded back. But um, that's the most efficient way to pick up a stone, probably, right? 
yeah, that's how you really kind of have to. You do get around it. You're not trying, though, like, yes, your back is rounded, but you're not rounding as you're picking it up. Yeah, just you're rounded, in that locked position. Yeah, you're rounding, you're bracing in that locked position, and then you're picking it up to your lap. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people, they – well, someone told me uh, in lifting, strongman has the highest injury rate because for, because for that reason, um, because of the, the, the bicep thing. But I have no idea if that's true or not. But uh, I mean, it's kind of, I will say it's kind of an unwritten rule that you are officially a strongman when you tear your bicep. <laughs> wow. So it doesn't matter how long you've been in the sport you're not actually an official strongman until you've torn your bicep. Uh, or I should say, that's what I was told when I tore mine. Oh, did you need surgery for that and stuff? Yeah, it was, wow. um, it was actually after I came back from my last Strongman Champions League competition. I was competing down in Baltimore. This is uh, summer 2018, so it's two years ago now. Um, this was for an Arnold qualifier. I was doing great. We were doing keg over bar for max height. I turned the keg, tipped the keg to the side, picked it up just like how I always do, and boom, I felt the rubber band snap. I felt it down in my forearm, and I felt the bicep. It felt like worms under my skin uh, as the bicep retracted and rolled up my arm. Oh. And I just went down on one knee. I held my arm with my hand, and I was like, I need ice. I just tore my bicep. <laughs> like, oh my I, was, I was so monotone. I was like, I just tore my bicep. Like, I, I know what this exactly is. I, I've seen it happen. 10 different probably tens of times um known everyone that's torn their bicep it's another bicep so even with proper form it just went just went wow use overuse overuse okay i mean it's it's one of those things where um it it was something that i needed some pt work for probably six now maybe eight months prior so like when i was going to see some when i was doing some pt work you know, we would get a lot of grass and stuff in my forearms, up in my upper arm. Uh, it was great, grindy a little bit. So we knew that, like, yeah, you know, I probably had some tendonitis going on. And it's one of those things where everything can be perfect. And when it's time, it's, it's just going to go. When I, when I competed in Greece just earlier, one of the guys that I was going against, he was set. He, it was the very last event. It was a sandbag carry and load. And again, we were doing the hundred kilo sandbags, So they weren't very heavy at the time. And on the very last sandbag of the very last event, he picks it up in his bicep tears. Oh, and again, a very light sandbag in comparison to what we're used to picking up. But when it was time, it was time. Yeah. It's like the perfect storm. The biggest thing you can do is to just accept it and just move on and prepare like that that's what happened to me when i tore my bicep um i was completely set like sure i was upset i won the previous two events i was in a great spot for this competition um you know there was no prize money in this competition so like uh, there was no you know outcome i wasn't making any money to pay any medical bills um and you know when it happened i'm like okay cool there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of people here. Let's not get frustrated. It's part of the sport. It happens. Let's go home. We'll see the doctor, get some ice, and we'll come back. Three months and I'll be back. I, I think a, a lot of people use that as an excuse not to start lifting. The, like the recent 
Um, I don't know if you saw the recent 400 kilo squat with that oh, guy. Wow. Yeah, that oh, was yeah, pretty hard to watch, but that was everywhere. And my family freaked out. Like they saw it on the news. They're like, wow, this, this is what you're doing, Alan. And I was like, yeah. Well, and they were like, yeah, you don't want to end up like that guy. And I was, it's kind of like they use the same thing. Oh, I don't want to end up like Ronnie Coleman. So that's why I don't lift. And I, think, I mean, <laughs> like choice. it's a, it, there's a big difference. Like that lift never should have happened. Uh, now I did not see any previous attempts, but like, yeah. why did he have to walk it out? He's in a mono lift. Oh, that's you right. Yeah. You shouldn't be walking out of a mono lift. Also, if you are staggering, you did not get into your normal squat stance. Don't do the lift. Yeah. Like, I saw I, you hobbling around. Yeah. I tell people that aren't even my clients. Like if I see you get under the bar, cause like I spot people in the gym all the time. Cause I'm in the gym all day. Um, and like they get situated and like, they're not in the right spot and they keep fidgeting. I tap them, get out, get out. Like, oh wow! Really? This isn't your normal setup. You are not going to hit this lift now. Like stop, walk away, loop back around and then get under the bar the right way. Don't fidget, get set, perform your lift. Yeah, I don't exactly know what happened. I don't know if he yeah, lost tightness or something. It just he just fell forward or something. Yeah, and, and just the fact that he kept moving around. Like I personally, if I was the judge, I would have made him like re rack it because again, like you're that's a unsafe situation. Yeah, well, prayers to him. I think his current situation is two months bedridden, and he has to learn how to walk again or something. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully, he'll, hopefully he'll come back. Hopefully he'll come back. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I don't I, – I wish the best. I hope he's – I hope he's able to then lift again and, and like, want to do it. Yeah. And I know me personally, when, when I had the injury, I mean, I was very scared when the time came. My doctor was very protective and did not let us do any training. Um, some people's doctors at four weeks, great, they're allowed to lift. He put me in a brace for 10 weeks. 10 weeks? I was, oh. I was in a metal brace. 10 weeks, 10 weeks wow. at like 75 degrees stuck in a brace. Um, so it was not fun whatsoever. But when the time came that I could lift again, I was very scared. Like any, I kept easing. Ooh, I felt a little pain. Did I, did yeah. I take care of that? What did I, did I do something? Yeah. And no, it was just sore from coming back. It was the muscle reworking. But again, I was so scared. And then one year to the day, almost, I was at a competition and we had keg over the bar for reps Ooh, and I'm yeah. having like PTSD and I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm, I'm not even going to pick it up. I'm walking away. And then I found out like I had an opportunity to win still. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm just going to do one. I'm just going to do one just so I can get a point and walk away just cause I'm, I'm the person that's not going to quit. And no, I loaded one. And I think I went like 10 more times. Um, and I didn't, I didn't ultimately win the event but I broke through my pizza. I broke through that fear. Yeah. That mental block of like, okay, Hey, this was something that you, you hurt yourself on. You did it. You broke through. You're not going to hurt yourself again. Like it'll be okay. Yeah. It was the same with me for my, for my shoulder. I, I recently, uh, tore my, tore my labrum Ooh. a couple of years back, uh, back when I was a wrestler and yeah, it's getting over that that mental block. You're like, oh crap! If I do this again, uh, maybe it'll tear again. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just easing your way back. That's that's the best thing. 
that that's one of the reasons I don't like to lift at a commercial gym. I actually, uh, this was years ago. I was at a YMCA. I was training circus dumbbell with, you know, a 130 pound dumbbell at a, at a commercial gym. And I was losing it and it went behind my head a little bit. And I was trying to hold, trying to hold, trying to hold, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. And then finally I had to drop it as like my arm was back behind me and I got yelled at for dropping the weight, wound up tearing my labrum. Oh, didn't need surgery for that? No, it was a partial tear. Um, and I wound up, by the time they approved the MRI, like it tore on his, or it healed on its own. I'm surprised so like I had, that. I had to go for a ton of PT. Oh, I'm surprised that a commercial gym even has a circus dumbbell. They didn't. It was, they had dumbbells up to like 140. Oh, so I was okay. using like a 130 pound dumbbell. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't circus dumbbell. I was, I was mimicking like training. it. Okay. Uh, any, anything else you want to say? Um, any, any, actually any advice for like the younger lifters? For the younger lift lifters is like concentrate on what you're doing. If you're working, if you're working with a coach, working with someone, great. Listen to them. They know what they're doing. They're having you do something for a reason. And if you don't have a coach, at least be studying up reading up find someone who's knowledgeable and look up to them there's a ton of great people out there there's a ton of knowledgeable people out there um, you know go to your go to your blogs go to your elite ftss um you know anyone where there's some great articles and follow from any of those guys any of, or, or gals and find any of those people um they're going to help you they're going to help you at least get down that right path Cause that's how I started. I started again. Cause like I didn't have a coach in the very beginning. It was finding articles. It was reading up. It was reading the magazines. It was trying to mimic some of those things, not trying to do everything, but sticking with something for a while, trying to learn from it and just trying to get better. All and right. then the other thing I would say is you don't need to be big. I see so many people now that are big. They're looking to get bigger. And I'm talking about bigger is getting fatter. Oh, okay. You do not need to get fatter to be strong. That used to be my mentality. My mentality is like, I got to get bigger. I got to get bigger to get stronger. You don't. Um, it will only hurt you. Like, yes, it could help you. Like, yes, it does. Like, in certain things like moving events when you're competing, um, or I should say truck pulls, things like that, like mass moves, mass, max deadlift things, things like that. But it's much better to be the size you need to be the size size you kind of should be yeah all right richard day stephanie that was our 30 second episode thank you for being on it's been such a pleasure oh thanks for having me yep that was the episode guys peace out <laughs>